0: This is Geek Gab with your host Dornal and me Daddy Warpig. we are back Geek Gab for Saturday, July 6, 2019. Dornal, how was your week?
1: Man, it's been a good week. Short week at work celebrating the birth of our great nation. Uh we just uh I just hung out had some pulled pork sandwiches and enjoyed the fireworks. How was your holiday?
0: Um I uh, worked through the holiday.
1: Oh no. Oh no. You, did you get some time to relax
0: with with family at least? Yeah. Yeah, I had a bit with my family. Uh but uh yeah, mostly I was
1: working. <laughs> I missed I missed the fanfare in the nation's capital supposedly there was there's a big fireworks show and and uh, flyovers from military aircraft and tanks and such but I missed out on it. Did you see any of that?
0: um no, I did not although I did see one reporter an investigative reporter um who sent out a panicked tweet that tanks were crossing. The Potomac. that It had never, ever in the history of the Republic, ever happened. (laughs) And he he sent out a photo. But there's just a few things wrong with the tweet. Oh, what's Um, that? One, it wasn't a tank. It was a Bradley fighting vehicle. Which are not tanks. Uh, Two... Bradleys and tanks have crossed in and out of Washington, D.C. many times for many different parades. And three, it wasn't crossing the Potomac. It was crossing, uh, I believe, the Anacosta River. Um, so literally every single detail, and I don't know if it was important, but the Bradley wasn't even moving under its own power. It was on the back of a tractor-trailer truck.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, so <laughs> so every single um, point, every single fact in that message was incorrect.
0: Was incorrect. Did not. This investigative reporter who uh, breathlessly tweeted this out as if it were something horrible, as if Caesar himself. We're crossing the Rubicon. Uh, it, it 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 was amusingly, hilariously wrong. I think <laughs> that's perfect.
1: That's that is the perfect explanation of of what happens. Um, I know we don't. I don't I know. We don't usually uh, talk about this stuff on the Geek Cab. It's just we just had July Fourth, and and it's on my mind. I think it's funny that, sure, it's, it's, I think a lot of Americans might think it's tasteless to have, you know, ostentatious displays of military hardware at the July 4th celebration. But the, the people who hate the president take it so far, you get amazing tweets such as that, where they're convinced that this is some Takeover of the country. Meanwhile, we just we just hang out and watch Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I poisoned myself yesterday. Why would you? I mean, okay, tell me the story. You poisoned yourself yesterday.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm gonna swallow a pill real quick, and I'll tell you why. No. Oh, I I hope uh, I hope you're gonna make it. <laughs> I had to take a pill to counteract the poison right now. So I'm getting up there in years. Is this and, uh, one of those poisons?
1: Is this one of those poisons where you have to keep streaming? Uh, and if you if you don't live stream for uh, more than 15 minutes, your heart stops and you die. It's this is like the the internet version of that Jason Statham movie, right? Uh,
0: no it's it's one of those poisons where. Your body has suddenly at some point crossed an invisible calendar line where it, it, it throws up its hands and says, Look, I let you get away with eating this crap for decades, but I'm not putting up with it anymore. If you eat this, you will pay. Uh, oh, yeah, I think I think we all get that after 30 or so. <laughs> So my body has been the last couple of years punishing me for eating certain things. Um, and so they are no longer on my diet. Eggs. I can't eat eggs anymore. No. Scrambled, fried, anything. The only kind of eggs I can eat is like on French toast because there's so little eggs. It's a high volume of bread. Um, I can't eat uh, greasy food, basically hamburgers or uh, things like that. That makes my body get grumpy and punish me for hours. And and now I have to add popcorn to the list. Movie, Movie theater popcorn to the list because I had some last night and my body has been punishing me uh, since 6 o'clock last night. So that's that's, that's almost a, 18 hours. That's hard news, man. That's You just listed off,
1: aside from the eggs, you just listed off all the great geek time foods. Oh. See, we, we've got a problem in our geek community. I'm sure our audience can appreciate this, that we associate hanging out and watching games and, and, or playing games with our friends and watching movies. We associate that with piles of junk food, right? Gotta have popcorn at the movies or candy at the movies or something like that. And that's it, man. Your, your body's haven't had enough of, of geek
0: gag. So I'm still doing this show. And if I might say so myself, doing a ripping good job, it's just that uh, I am having an epic level stomach ache right now with occasional bouts of my, my stomach threatening to reverse course, if you understand what I mean. But it's not actually going to because that might get rid of the food that's making me sick, and it would rather just punish me. So <laughs> awesome. It's awesome. I have to tell you that. By the way, I ate popcorn yesterday because I went and saw a movie. Oh, very good. What movie did you see? I saw
1: Spider-Man Far From Home. Well, that's a coincidence. That just opened up this week. I may have seen it myself.
0: Spider-Man Far From Home. So what Starring- you think? some people and some other
1: people and... I think the, the name of, of Peter Parker is being played by Tom Holland.
0: Oh. Okay. start the guy from Pulp Fiction, uh, the girl from How I Met Your Mother, another guy who was on, uh who is the mock UN teacher at Community, the, the, the TV sitcom Community, um... And and the girl, sure. the girl from my cousin Vinny. Uh, yeah, yeah. The girl from my cousin Vinny was there, and Jake Gyllenhaal. What <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal?
1: Is it <laughs> Gyllenhaal or Gyllenhaal? I think it's Gyllenhaal. It He's should be. That. It should be Gyllenhaal because because of graphics interchange format.
0: But he was in. Uh, Donnie Darko. Yep, this Jake guy was, and probably some other. Oh yeah, the Prince of Persia movie. Yeah, that's a that's a modern day classic. Although the uh, lady who was with him was uh, was smoking gorgeous, and she was also in the uh, the Titans remake, the uh, Clash of the Titans remake. She played Cassandra. She absolutely gorgeous but uh, uh, her career hasn't gone anywhere because she was in a couple of bad movies. Yeah
1: well that ne- never stopped a few of these guys. but I guess um, I guess uh, Gillenhall was established before he did um, great <coughs> films such as Prince of Persia yeah. So so that's but we're, we're clear it was the popcorn that did you in and not
0: the movie. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, I enjoyed the movie thoroughly, beginning to end. Um, I just had a lot of fun. The movie was fun. I want to say this out front, just so we can get it out of the way, because it's hilarious. Um, I watched the diversity in comics, although he's not really calling his channel that anymore. I don't care. I can't remember what his channel name is now. I'm just going to call it Diversity in Comics. He did a review of it, and what he pointed out was every single crowd scene was uh, perfectly politically correct. You had one member from every minority, but only one, in every single crowd scene. It's almost like the director... Didn't do it, didn't want to do it or didn't care about it. He just did exactly what he needed to do to keep the Disney suits off his back and then just didn't didn't do anything with it the rest of the movie. just left it aside and focused on making a good superhero movie. Um, so it's like
1: <laughs> that's that's funny. I don't think that does the director handpick those. I I I feel that there's a there's someone in casting who just gets um gets extras in for those sorts of scenes. But it's hilarious that they they checked all the
0: boxes for every single one of those scenes. But they they, didn't make they didn't make a point of it. They didn't make any obnoxious, you know, uh, they didn't make any obnoxious political points or social justice points. They just did that. It satisfied the suits, and then they made the rest of the movie the absolute best superhero movie they knew how. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. What did you think? I thought it was a lot of fun. I
1: I actually have a a, a few complaints, but it was fun. It was a is an easy, lightweight story. There was uh, it was very funny. I think, which was nice. Now I didn't see. The first one I didn't see Spider-Man: Homecoming, so so the characters I did, I knew nothing about the characters. Apparently, some of them had grown up during the uh, after the Thanos's finger snaps, so they had to sort of explain that at the at the beginning of the film. Of course, not having seen Homecoming, I didn't I didn't know which characters had grown up and which ones had disappeared. Besides Peter Parker, so it was meaningless to me. But I'm rambling. It was funny. Uh, it it wasn't the uh, it wasn't what I expected out of a Spider Man film as much. It was it was a lot more uh, it was a lot more teenage drama and a lot less wisecracking and punching bad guys.
0: See, I would say the the movie was absolutely just great, a lot of fun. The one thing they did me- mess up on is that Smiter- Spider Man is a smartass. He is just supposed to crack wise uh, every single time, no matter who he's fighting. Um, And they didn't do that. That, So it wasn't like it made the movie bad, but it was an extra thing they could have put in there easily um, that they didn't. And and let me give you an example. Um, Give the audience an example. At one point he's fighting an elemental that's kind of lava and if it gloms onto some metal of any size, it grows bigger. So, Peter Parker from the comic books, as soon as it uh, uh, grabbed some metal and grew bigger, would, you know, web sling around it, doing whatever he was supposed to do to stop it, and then say, I don't know, I think you're putting on weight. Make oh, a- sure, yeah. Make a fat joke about it. Um, And this Peter Parker absolutely did not do quips. And and Spider-Man is supposed to be quippy. That's who he is. No matter who he's fighting, no matter what the situation is, even if he's fighting a creature that just would not, could not understand the quip, he would still be quippy. But uh, and the
1: the writers understand the source material, which makes that decision even stranger. Because remember, in the trailers, they have that great scene where he's uh, mouthing off to New York Police, yeah, right, where, where he he foils some sort of robbery or something, and he says, "And hey, you know, I'm I'm too busy doing your job, right?" And they go, "Whoa, whoa!" Spider Man says, "Oh no, you guys are doing a great job." And by the way, I'm going on vacation, so you, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to pick up after me, <laughs> right? It was a great little scene. Did not appear in the film. Was not in the film. Just um, just in the trailer. It was the, one of the best scenes of the film. Was was only in the trailer.
0: So, yeah. Apparently, a lot of companies are starting to do that now. They want to make the trailers with stuff that appeals to audiences, and so they make up fake scenes to put in the trailer. So that they won't, um, so that they won't drive away, uh, so they won't give away spoilers that people can just watch the trailer and not be spoiled. Um, I gotta go ahead. That's what that was.
1: Well, I don't want to. Speaking of spoilers, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Megabuster Shepherd in the chat wants to know if, if Joan is in it. J.J.'s in the film, he's got a cameo, Uh, he is played by Mr. Simmons, and I'm not going to say anything else because it's a hilarious cameo. I think it's going to be, a few years from now, I think that's going to be a really dated cameo, but uh, it was funny to see.
0: Seriously. This was, uh, I literally thought this a couple years ago after Spider-Man Homecoming. I thought, man, it's terrible now because... He was just a phenomenal J. Jonah Jameson back during the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, and we'll never get a J. Jonah Jameson as good as him again. And then, so I was kind of bummed. I'm like, oh, I wonder who they're going to get to play him. And then J. Jonah Jameson didn't come at all into the first movie. And, uh, you know didn't come at all into most of this movie. And then all of a sudden there's that little, there are two after credit scenes, one after the main, you know, fancy animation credits, to the one after all of them at the very end. Um, Both of them were funny. I, uh, I stayed and watched both of them. I enjoyed both of them. Um, but it's that first one after the fancy credits that has J. Jonah Jameson in it. And when I saw him, I was just like, I was thrilled. Because I was like, dude, that's the best Triple J ever. Yet. Ever, yes. Glad to
1: see him in the movie. Really great. Yeah, he wasn't really part of the plot or anything like that. He just he showed up at the end. Uh, <laughs> he and and the writers perfectly captured that character. Is hilarious.
0: It was absolutely
1: beautiful. Um,
0: let's see, man. I, I have to tell you, having Bad stomach grips makes it hard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, I lo- let's get to my gripe session because I never okay. have anything nice to say about anything. Uh, I think that's my my sh- shtick on the show here. Uh, here's the stuff I didn't like. The uh, Tom Holland is the only one... He, he's good enough to carry the film, but he doesn't have good chemistry with most of the cast. Uh, he, he does okay with his weird, pudgy friend. Um, who has a a um, really funny running gag with uh, one of the other uh, classmates and uh no chemistry with John Favreau their scenes are are really awkward and worst of all absolutely none with Mary Jane I don't I don't remember I don't remember hearing anybody complaining about Mary Jane in Spider-Man Homecoming but um I guess I get her character, but she and Peter Parker had very little chemistry. It, it was, it was kind of awkward to watch. I didn't like that very much. There was better chemistry between him and Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, who yeah. Plays, who plays Mysterio and, and Gyllenhaal really a hit or miss actor because when he's good, you, you get amazing, amazing films out of him. Uh, End of watch is probably his best film.
0: Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah.
1: Uh, also, he was in Nightcrawler as well. A little, it, it, a little over the top, but that's what the character called for. So when he's really good, he's really, really good. I don't think he was really, really good in Spider-Man: Homecoming, but he had probably the best on-screen chemistry with Peter Parker, and he had to 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 make that subplot between him and Spider-Man. Believable, uh, so that would be that would be my main complaint. There was something off about the whole cast.
0: I, I will say this about Jake Gyllenhaal and Peter and uh, Holland. Um, you could tell that Gyllenhaal's character really liked Peter Parker. He genuinely liked him. Yeah, um, and that's a good dynamic. Uh that's a fun dynamic uh, to have in the movie, and it's necessary.
1: Absolutely,
0: absolutely. and that was that was one of the better
1: parts of the film was was their relationship between those two. um unfortunately the the teenage stuff that I thought was a little awkward, but that's okay. We got young actors doing this thing and and speaking of the uh, you talked about the extras, but the whole cast was done that way, right? Yeah. They made they, they made sure that the uh, the the class composition was perfectly diverse. Which is sure, whatever. Um, and the, the only the only problem with that is how obvious it is. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> you're just like yeah sure whatever it was. Uh, I, this... <laughs> I can I can accept all these things except that it's so ham fisted.
0: It was the scene on the tower bridge that really just sold it for me. Uh, Like all the kids get off the bus one after another and you're just, (laughs) it looked like a casting session for a United Colors of Benetton ad. Just coming off the, the bus one at a time. It was hilarious. Yeah. That was really funny.
1: Uh, ch- chiming in, in the chat, Shepard again uh, makes a really good point. The, he says the race bending wouldn't matter so much if we got great performances like uh, Billy uh, Williams as Two Face or Michael Clark Duncan in Daredevil. I, I'd, I'd have to agree. If if the quality's there, it doesn't matter. Just uh, a lot of people, for example, when they rebooted the Marvel universe, I think they did this in the comics, and they changed to Nick Fury. And then in the MCU they cast Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, but the original Nick Fury was uh, wasn't black. He was just a white soldier in World War II, and that's the uh, that's the Nick Fury that my father grew up with. And so he was really he was really shocked by the casting change. <clears throat> he was like, "That's that's strange. That's not Nick Fury." On the other hand. Samuel L. Jackson has been such a good Nick Fury. He's had so much fun with the character. Nobody really cares, right? It's it's great. It's fun to watch him do that. So I think I think Shepard's got a point there.
0: Yeah, I. Uh... What other what other complaints do you
1: have? I, I think that was it. the uh, The main thing was the I didn't I wasn't feeling the camaraderie between the cast. Uh, they did alright. The the comedy was fun. Uh, it felt a, bit, a little bit eye-rolling. And um, story-wise, I didn't care about the
0: teenage drama thing. See, it, to discuss anything in more detail would be to give away big things that shouldn't be Spoiled that are that would ruin the movie for you, or that you would all of a sudden stuff that would be exciting and fun, and you're just watching, you would see the twists coming, some of them, and uh, I don't want to do that. It it's a good. I mean, seriously, uh, Marvel movies uh, kind of they had a wall with Captain Marvel. That was a dreadful, dreadful film. And Spider-Man, uh, Far From Home, is a delightful, fun film that doesn't try to lecture you. It doesn't try to um, force a viewpoint on you. There's no, oh, and, and we saved the day because we got over racism and we came together as a team. There's there's no point made. There's no hectoring, lecturing point made. The bad guy doesn't give a big speech about humanity is destroying the earth and therefore, as an environmentalist, I want to save the planet. So many of those cliches are just not in the film. They genuinely tried to make an enjoyable film, not a piece of propaganda. So I look at uh, my worry is that as awesome as Spider-Man is and as terrible as Captain Marvel is, I fear that the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to be more Captain Marvel and less Spider-Man.
1: I don't know. They, I think they'd be fooled. Spider-Man's Still, their biggest, most well-known character. Yeah, um, they, they're going to have to improve. I think the cast and the writing a bit, just to go back in time. the The, the one big breakout hit was Iron Man, and they knocked it out of the park with casting. Um, so they're going to have to do something like that again to keep the cinematic. Well, it's going to keep chugging along. People are going to buy those tickets, but I think you're right. I, I it was. Just a fun superhero film, and they, it wasn't trying to be anything else. And uh, despite my my complaints about things that I noticed, I enjoyed it for that. It was cool. It was fun. It's a it's a cheesy popcorn summer movie.
0: Oh, and let me go into some details of what I thought was fun. The fight scenes were well shot and exciting. They were not. Uh, they were not shot in boring flat angles or whatever. Um, Peter Parker genuinely found interesting and innovative ways to use his abilities to fight in situations that you would not normally expect him to be able to fight in. Um, for example, at one point, a bunch of things are chasing him, and so. He uses his agility and his webs to go straight up and then uh, drop something on them and just crush them all. Um, So he draws them in after him and crushes them all. And it was unexpected, but it was the perfect thing. He was manipulating his enemy into the situation where he could take them out with ease, whereas going to him toe-to-toe wouldn't have been able to. Um, and, And all, a lot of his moves were like that. They were not typical uh, Spider-Man moves just being repeated from the comics or whatever. Um, they were interesting and innovative uses of his power, and that kept the fights uh, moving in interesting ways. Um, and that's one of the great things about the Millerville movies.
1: With all of them, they find fun and interesting ways for characters to... Use their abilities to overcome situations. It's, it's great to watch. They do have a lot of fun with that. And, and even the, the villains in the, uh, the monsters in the movie, Spider-Man couldn't really directly fight most of them. Yes. There's a very good reason why, other than they're, they're made of fire or whatever, but he immediately switches tactics to okay well then I'm gonna focus on keeping innocent people safe right and I'll you know I'll let mysterio handle this monster that sort of thing it was it was
0: great to see that yeah um, the special effects of course were impeccable um, because that that's generally a strength of marvels not absolutely perfect but generally their special effects are really really good. And they were really, really good in this movie. Um, yeah, for sure. Technically, everything technically was on point. Uh, and it's not so much that the people around him are bad actors. Um, it, it's just that they were kind of miscast. Um, yeah, that's fair. I'm trying to think. Yeah, that was it. I mean, even when the bad guy gets Peter at one point, he does it in a completely surprising way. You weren't expecting that. At least I wasn't expecting that.
1: No, and and the uh, the animations were a lot of fun because they they put a lot of work into a
0: computer generated setting. Oh yeah, that was something I wanted to compliment this movie on. You, you will have heard me, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you will have heard me complain about actors acting against these completely CGI sets where there's nothing there, it's just green screen, and how terrible that makes scenes. Well, there is a sequence in this movie that could only have been made on green screen. It had to be shot against a green screen. And yet uh Holland turns in a great performance. Mysterio uh John Hall turns in a great performance, and the animations around him work. It is visually interesting. It uh cont- it tells a story because every fight needs to have a story of back and forth and back and forth and then someone wins and someone loses um, or sometimes you know they they stalemate and people drag them apart and it did that it told a story so I would say that in this movie the use of computer animation in this scene was absolutely required. Because you could not have done it any other way. You couldn't have built sets to do this sequence, and it was not poorly done. It was very well done, and it was interesting, and And you saw Peter struggling against things. So even though it was entirely computer animated, it was a great part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you, you just have to give props to the director. You just have to give props to the computer animators that they pulled that off. They used absolutely what they needed to, when they needed to, so when they wanted it against a practical background, when they could shoot against a practical background, they did. They shot in London, they shot in Prague, um, and uh, in other places. I think mean, the list of the tax credits... Oh yeah,
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's like six, seven different uh, cu- countries involved.
0: Yeah, um, so they shot practically, and, and it's great because those are kind of exotic places to people because they haven't showed up in movies all the time. We've seen Paris a lot, um, and even the London we do see is a little bit different from what has typically been shot. Um, And then Prague, obviously, hasn't been in a lot of movies. Mm -hmm. So they shot a bunch of stuff using, you know, practical scenery and and stuff. And then they also, when they had to, they shot against green screen. And so uh, it just, they knew what they needed to use, when they needed to use it, and they used the tool that was right for the job. And that made the movie made the effects, you know, you knew you were looking at computer effects, of course you did, but they didn't look fake, and they didn't feel lazy. Uh, They felt like, okay, that's what should be there.
1: And that, you're absolutely right, and that one scene where it was pure green screen, non-stop animation, was perfectly done. It was... It was bright, colorful, easy easy to follow, yet at the same time completely disorienting. Yet yeah, when that happened, mean a lot of the other people in the theater went, "Oh wow, it was it was really
0: intense." See, and that's difficult to do to have a scene that the audience can follow what's going on, but it's still disorienting. So you get some of that disorientation that. Parker's, uh, you know, being pummeled with. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Tom Holland is very, very good at acting while wearing the spider suit. Um, Using posture and how he turns and, and his position, his body position to convey confusion or whatever. That's very difficult to do without a face. (laughs) You're just a faceless guy. Uh, And and they have, you know, motorized his eyes so they can widen in surprise or tighten down. And that's absolutely brilliant. They needed to do that so bad. Um, And that's something that none of the other Spider-Mans have really done, I think. And I think that's why this Spider-Man has been... um, you know, elevated above the rest. But man, he knows how to use his body to convey emotions.
1: Yeah, I thought he was really great. I think he's one of those classically trained English actors that we keep importing to do leading man stuff. I think that explains it. Did you know that he was English? I did. Or I had heard that at one time. Well, it's a trick. It's he's he's from England, but apparently his his uh, grandparents are from Ireland and the Isle
0: of Man. There you go. There's your trivia for the week. Oh, my grandparents are from the uh, my maternal grandparents are from the Isle of Man.
1: Well, you're probably distant cousins then. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, we'll call it like fourth, fifth cousins. Easy, easy. That's cool. Yeah, he's he's one of those he's one of those British guys. If you have heard him in, the, in an interview or, or something, he get, gets his natural accent out. We keep importing him from from Australia and England to do these these leading roles, but he's done a great job. I agree. And and one of the things, there, uh, another reason why. Uh, on the flip side of that, Robert Downey Jr. made such a good Iron Man. It was because when the only thing on the screen was his face with those you know, the displays on it, he was still acting perfectly. It was, it was great. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's just a dumb superhero movie, right? It's, it's a forgettable popcorn flick yet. If you get the best actors available, they can elevate that material to a, a, a really enjoyable experience.
0: You see that, um, in a larger sense, that's one of the problems with Hollywood in general, is that writers, directors, actors are end up working on projects they have nothing but utter contempt for. And so they make a pile of crap, like uh, the Dukes of Hazzard movie that just came out, what, 10, 12, 15 years ago. It was garbage. Absolute garbage. And you could tell that everybody involved had nothing but contempt for it. And so it was trash. And you could easily have contempt for a superhero movie. But Marvel and their production team takes their craft of making the movie seriously. They want to genuinely make the best movie they can. And with some directors and some screenwriters, problems got in the way, but they've been, they've got a great track record, not Pixar tr- track record, but still better than most movie studios. Uh, and it's, it's amazing because at the
1: end of the day, even many of the good ones are forgettable popcorn summer movies, but yeah. they, they, they've come, they've been so good. They're so enjoyable while you're watching them. We can go back and say, yeah, I don't remember really anything about Ant-Man. But I remember I had fun at the time. I
0: remember enjoying it. So, I don't know. I sense we're running out of things to say about this movie. I mean, people say that it's really hard to review a good movie. I think in this case, there are solid specific reasons you could point to and say why it's good. But I think we've run over, over all the ones I can remember.
1: Yeah, I agree. Let's wrap up on that. What else do you want to uh, What else do you want to talk about this week,
0: dude? You know my brain is
1: fried. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm good to call it call it a week. It was a lot of fun watching the film, uh, and uh, I appreciate hanging out. We even had some guys in chat talking about movies and villains and and, and Marvel Cinematic Manic Universe. Oh, uh, Megabuster Shepherd. Jumped in to remind us about the uh, Sonic movie.
0: Speaking of contempt for source material, yeah, they're redoing the animation for Sonic. Um, I, it's not going to help. I, uh, I am not hopeful for that movie.
1: On the flip side, did you? Did we talk about the Pikachu movie? Did you see Detective Pikachu?
0: I have not. Have you?
1: I did. Yeah, it was cute, silly, and forgettable. Did Ryan Reynolds? You know, do his Ryan Reynolds thing. He does his voice. You, the The Pikachu makes his quips and and humor humorous asides in the Ryan Reynolds voice. I guess it was a good casting choice for for what they wrote. Um, it was a, it was a silly little film. The animations were nice. I'll tell you this. Unlike the Sonic film, though, it did look kind of stupid. They made it look like the stupid monsters were part of the world. It, it shouldn't have worked at all. And it worked well enough for, uh, for a lighthearted or a, a kid's movie. So oh,
0: uh, it
1: well. was, it it was silly. It was the thing that son, whoever is making Sonic really should sit down and watch that film because it's the same basic idea. I, in other words, something
0: that shouldn't have been done. Well, here's uh here's something interesting from this week that I can talk of. Uh, I watched uh, a bunch of scrubs this week. Oh, it's a good show. Yeah. I really enjoy scrubs. Obviously Uh, I've seen it, seen the whole series uh, a few times now. Nine. Um, (laughs) uh, And I just enjoy it. It, It's a lot of fun. uh, And it's interesting. Interesting. It entertained. Sorry, entertaining. That's what I mean. Not interesting. Entertaining. Um You know what I found out this week too? Is What's that, that interesting is what a critic says when a work is absolute garbage, but they're pushing it because they think it's important. Oh. Well, that's what normal people do anyway,
1: not just filthy reviewers. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. Um, Here's another one. This thing is really popular right now. Hmm. There's no value judgment in that statement, is there?
0: (laughs) So Scrubs is a heck of a lot of fun. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoyed the humor. Um, They actually used a real hospital to shoot in. There was a hospital that got decommissioned. And so they bought it for the show. <laughs> That's great. And so they cut up part of it to be the sets that they needed, and the rest of it was production places. They set up their video editing suites. Uh, they had you know rooms for the different cast members and everything else, uh, and they just ran with it. I think it was, uh, so and that made it very very real, because they're literally in a real uh, hospital. And so when they're shooting shots, you see in the overhead all of the tiles, all the suspended uh, anechoic tiles uh, hanging from the roof, and some of them are uh, water damaged and some of them are missing, and it looks like what it's supposed to be. Sacred Heart, the hospital, is supposed to be a rundown old teaching hospital. Ah, oh, that's actually really cool. And
1: so they're shooting at a rundown hospital.
0: It's just great. Uh, and in one of the behind the scenes things in the final episode of the series, you can see them watching a scene being shot and the monitor is all the way off to one side of a hallway and there's like barely uh, an aisle between the seats. There's seats two by two in a row, like in a a roller coaster, like four of them, four rows by two seats each. And people have to kind of... gooch around them to get through the uh, get through the hallway, but that's how they can look at the monsters okay. while they're shooting scenes. It's all really uh, cramped. <laughs> well, that's cool. Um, uh, yeah,
1: I, I thought that was a pretty good, pretty good show. I think I've seen most of the episodes
0: once. Yeah, I like Scrubs. Yeah. Um, Been reading a lot of comics, of course, this week. Doing a lot of work on that. Uh, Deceased, I read this week. Um, It is a zombie thriller set in the DC universe. Hence, DC Deceased. Uh Uh-huh. Three issues have come out. I think it's going to be a six-issue miniseries. I liked it. I've enjoyed it. But then again, I like Zombies. See, last week. Um, so it's been worthwhile for me. I've really, really uh, I really had fun with it. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and then I've read a, a usual assortment of stuff. <laughs> I have to make a confession. Yeah. The Super Suns maxi-series? There's been twelve issues. Apparently, I've been away from comics for a long time. Batman had a son with Talia Al Ghul, and his name is Damian. Oh, is that so? And he's the new Robin. Huh. And then Superman had a son with Lois Lane. I did not know that. And you know, neither did I. I had no idea. And his name is John Kent. After you know, Superman's adoptive father. So they called the comic series the Super Sons. And John being, you know, the upstanding white bread from Kansas boy, Damien being the vicious raised by assassins (laughs) son of Batman. Oh, we're still friends. Um, Brian Michael Bendis is going to screw them both up. He's turning one of them into a villain. I think he's turning Superman's son, the good kid, into a villain because, you know, Bendis got a Bendis, I guess. Yeah. Um, but before he did that, they had this 12-issue series where these alien kids, so both of them in their early teens, like 13, 14, um, out in space this alien kid has been growing up on a diet of watching Earth heroes and Earth villains, and it's just really thoroughly entertained by all of them. Apparently, DC Universe's Earth is the best reality show in the universe, Um, which makes sense because it's a comic book world, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So he decides to be Lex Luthor. So he shaves his dome, builds a Lex Luthor army, and starts a plot to uh, defeat all the heroes of Earth and to prove that he's better than the real Lex Luthor. So then he takes all these other teenage kids from alien planets, turns one into the Joker, one into Doomsday, one into every single villain, uh Yellow Flash or the Reverse Flash. So he has like 50 of these Imitation little kid villains, and he kidnaps the Supersons and takes them off into space, and they have to find their way home. That sounds terrible.
1: <laughs> I won't. I won't lie. That sounds just to the worst. That sounds like the dumbest. Never mind. Never like? mind. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Dornal sounded a little mic trouble right there, but he said it it sounds terrible. Uh, It sounds like the dumbest thing ever. It sounds like just the worst. I've read all 12 issues. It's actually been fun. I've enjoyed it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, based on
1: that description, would not buy.
0: (laughs) Well, I wouldn't expect you to. That would not be in your wheelhouse. If I was recommending comics to you, I wouldn't ever recommend the Super Sons. (laughs) <laughs> um, I have been reading a lot of comics, a lot more comics in the past two years than I've ever read in my entire life. Um, like, ever. Primarily because uh, I started watching Diversity in Comics, and he recommended, you know, good comics. And so, uh, on his recommendation, I started reading them, and I found that. His recommendations were hit and miss, but still he pointed out some really, you know, good things. So I was just like, yeah, um, comic books are an original art form. They are very entertaining. I think they're very entertaining. And uh, I'm really grateful I have an opportunity to not just read some of the Good new the the little teeny tiny bit of good news stuff that's coming out, but also to get caught up on some of the great stuff from ages past that I never read. Um, I really want to read all of the uh Savage Sword of Conan. Those are the black and white uh drawing, epic Conan, I mean epic the company imprint, uh Conan magazines that uh from, you know, the 70s up to the early 90s. Uh, I'm excited. I want to read those. The one Conan story I've been able to find time to read from that was just spectacular. Um, there is a lot, a lot, a lot of great storytelling out there in mediums other than novels and mediums other than uh, short stories and movies. And I feel like by looking at what makes stories work in other media, that uh, that I can use that when I write. Um, and then I could also maybe someday, you know, work on a comic of my own. I just, uh, there's so much, you don't have to settle for trash. You don't have to settle for modern trash or even old trash. Um, the fact is, is that typically the quality of what got published in the past was pretty good or good to great because stuff that was terrible didn't last. And that was the same uh, as uh, uh, Alex from Kursova found out with the pulp magazines. It was pretty good to great because writers who couldn't hack it, writers who couldn't produce good stuff on schedule every month, couldn't make a living at it. So they had to drop out. And you can find some great stories. I mean, here's an example. I just talked about Scrubs. I seriously watched, like, I'm going to say six seasons of Scrubs in the past week. Um, and one of the things it taught me, I'm planning on writing a series of sequential stories set in the same setting. So one of the things that Scrubs taught me is how to make the world feel like it has continuity. Dr. Kelso has a son who is a gay man-whore. I don't mean that he is um, just promiscuous. Like, over the course of the series, you discover he's actually a prostitute. Weird. So, um, periodically, every few episodes, you never see this this character, you never hear his voice. He never talks. All you get is Dr. Kelso saying, oh, here's what my son is doing now. Here's what my son is doing now. Here's what my son is doing now. Every few episodes, every five episodes, every, you know, 10 episodes, whatever. But that keeps a thread of continuity running through the stories that helps develop that character. It makes Dr. Kelso seem more real because he's got a problem that he's dealing with. He still loves his son, but his son is clearly making bad decisions, destructive decisions, and he can't do much to help him. So that's one way. If you're writing several successive short stories in the same setting, sorry for all the S's, That's one way you can make it come alive, is to have background stories that you may not see directly ever, but that you mention as they develop. Another way to make it come alive is that there are background minor stories. And in this case, I'm thinking of Snoop Dogg resident, who over the course, just a really, really tall black guy who looks a lot like Snoop Dogg. Over the course of the series, um, he stops being a resident and he becomes an attending. So he jumps up two ranks eventually over the course of the series. Then he finds a girlfriend um, and then, you know, their relationship develops. So he gets just the tiniest, tiniest chunk of time in sometimes episodes, one episode a, a season but it develops that relationship between the two of them. It develops him and his character, and that adds to the continuity of the series of stories. It helps develop the world in ways that doesn't require a lot of space. It doesn't require a lot of bother or fuss you just get updated on who these people are, and it shows that there are people living lives in the background of the main, you know, cast's life. Um, so I got that from watching a sitcom. Is something that would be very helpful if, for example, you set out to write something like the Conan stories, 18 stories, you know, all set in, the same setting. Uh, now, that wasn't what Robert E. Howard was trying to do, but if you wanted to do that, where the you were writing stories like that in chronological order, um, or like the Executioner books, the Mac Boland novels, um, this is a way that you could make the world seem coherent, make it seem more real, by adding a touch of verisimilitude. So by paying attention to sitcom episodes, I learned something about sequential storytelling in a series of short novels or short stories. By paying attention to how storytelling worked in the WWE. Someone did a great episode on YouTube about The Undertaker and how his storytelling unfolded over a couple of decades. And so I'm not saying you should make your work like professional wrestling or like a sitcom. I'm just saying if you pay attention to good storytelling and you pay attention to why it works, then you can learn a lot about storytelling that can be directly applied to other things. And so, um, that is something additional you can do to become better uh, become a better storyteller become a, a a better writer
1: i love the wrestling example because if you get past the the day-to-day schlock of uh, the the corny storylines in wrestling they do a lot of that stuff really well those ongoing storylines which sometimes they don't make sense but they build on prior storylines and you're right it's really well said there's a great video you should check out if you're on youtube look up wrestling isn't wrestling it's a great video similar to what you said about the undertaker uh, this guy's focus was on triple h and he talks about that he talks about the way they've built up a storyline around this character over the years uh, it's a really great watch
0: uh, one of the people in chat asked if there was a link to that undertaker video um i have just found that link so i'm going to pass it along to doranall and uh, he'll put it underneath the video here uh so you can watch the undertaker video it's uh it's not super long uh it's 27 minutes um and 22 seconds um but it's it's worth a, it's worth a watch if you're a writer to see how people can storytell in completely different uh in a completely different medium than traditional uh, written works, very fascinating.
1: Awesome, I'll take care of that
0: for you. Absolutely. And it's in the private chat.
1: We're we ready to go. We're we ready to kick it. Uh, I, I'm all out for today. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks for hanging out and chatting about movies and comics and stuff with me. And I appreciate you guys hanging out and chat. Uh, talking amongst yourselves and asking questions. Uh, We'll get you those links in the show notes afterwards if you're watching on YouTube. Thanks a lot, D-Dub.
0: I, too, want to thank everybody for listening to the show, coming live and joining in the chat. And also those of you who listen later, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the chat in real time as it scrolls through. I want to thank everybody. Uh who also listens later. uh, We are available on YouTube.com slash GeekGab. YouTube.com slash GeekGab. We are also available on the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, and SoundCloud.com. Just do a search for Gab. We are leaving you for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.